Welcome to the True Transformation Podcast with your host, me, Josiah Novak. Welcome to the podcast. Here's my daddy, Josiah Novak. What's up, party people? Josiah Novak back again with a brand new podcast today. I actually have a very special guest on the show with me today, uh, Dr. Dominic Diagostino. And uh, if you have ever done any extensive research on the keto diet, you've probably run into some work from Dr. Dom. He is at the forefront of researching therapeutic ketosis. And this is where the keto diet or ketones are utilized to address a medical state or condition. Uh, And we talk in depth about how his work has impacted the military, some of the things he's done with the Navy SEALs, and how some of the studies that he's uncovered might impact you as someone who just wants to better their health, better their performance, and look better naked, of course. So Dr. Dom is definitely the smartest guy I've ever talked to in terms of keto, uh, the keto diet. So if you've ever been interested in why low carb might work, why it might not work, this is going to be a great person to connect with and a great person to learn from. If you know me, you know that I'm 100% against fad diets. I never push any specific dietary protocol. I want to teach you why diets work, how to create a diet that works for you. And part of that is learning how all these diets operate and how you can take some of the things from each one and possibly apply it to your own life to see results. So Dr. Dom is uh, an incredible human being. Uh, He's just a a very down-to-earth guy. You're going to really enjoy this interview. Um, He has a great way of taking what seems to be rocket science and helping the layman understand it in simple terms. Um, I have put some links for you to connect with him and learn more about some of the things we talk about on the show in the show notes. So be sure to check the show notes out because that's where you can find all the links to connect with Dr. Dom as well as some of the resources he mentions in the show. So without further ado, let me bring on board Dr. Dominic Diagostino. So, hey, Dom, I, I, I appreciate you taking time because actually everyone I've ever listened to that's either had you on their show or talked about you says like, Dom just works and works and works. <laughs> so I know your time is highly valuable, man. So I appreciate you being here. Well, I appreciate being on and I'd like to mention that, you know, I think it's important for people who do work in academia and, and research to get out and actually disseminate their information and their research to the public. Because sometimes it takes five to 10 years to get, mm-hmm. you know, research. I mean, we've been, we have data from like seven years ago, we're working on writing up. Uh, so I enjoy doing that and I appreciate the opportunity being on. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, I agree, man. More, more people who probably have such deep levels of intelligence and can spread so much good information. Sometimes I don't say they hide in the shadows, but it's almost like they get so into their work and like (laughs) they don't get out there and spread it. And then it's like, Oh man, you know, we're missing out on huge opportunities, especially in today's day and age where there's just information, like not none other, like it's crazy. Right. So it's, it's very important, man. I agree hundred percent. Sometimes I think maybe people look down on that. Well, if they have time to do podcasts and things like that, they're not in the lab, but it's like, you know, I'm in a virtual conference right now for the Department of Defense. So I'm just basically taking my lunch break, but I'm, I don't eat lunch. So it's like, you know, uh, I, I choose to allocate maybe about, I do about two podcasts a week, something like that on average. Sometimes like next week it's like five, but, uh, but I, I think that's really important. If you know science well enough, uh, you should be able to understand it to, to sort of break it down into the public layman's version. And I think it's not all science that people does is directly relevant, but we try to do research in our lab that have implications. So when we complete a study, you know, uh, it's fun to get on online and talk about it because usually it has implications for the general public. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you, you brought up something I, I think that a lot of people struggle with, especially in today's day and age. I mean, science is, especially when it comes to health, has never been, I think, a bigger topic or a more important topic. Uh, and there's often this struggle to understand, like when people are super, super highly intelligent, sometimes it is a struggle to dumb that down, if you will. Even like, I, I, I sometimes listen to top experts and I'm like, what in the heck is he even talking about? Like, I have no idea what, how to even decipher or, you know, figure out what in the world they're trying to explain. But yeah. if you have that ability uh, to basically lay it out for the layman, then 
yeah, it's an incredible gift that needs to be shared. It can be confusing and conflicting, but I listened to a few of your podcasts or driving in here today and the information that you put out is just like golden because it really breaks it down. It's easy to listen to and it's so, it's balanced. You know, usually sometimes I'm on a podcast and it could go like one way or the other, but you just have a very logical way about listening to your podcast on calories. And, mm. you know, some people in my camp per se or people kind of put me into a camp like the keto camp think that calories don't matter if you eat a certain way. But, you know, I was listening to your podcast, like calories are extremely important and being able to understand that and, uh, and, and record that and calculate that. And there's different ways to do that, that we can talk about on the show here. Uh, But yeah, I I really enjoyed uh, listening to a few of your podcasts and and I really appreciate the great information you're putting out there. It's, It's a great service. Oh man. Well, coming from you, that's like a massive compliment. I'm over here like trying not to blush. <laughs> that's huge, man. I mean, most of my guests don't listen to my show and, and that's totally fine because I know people are super busy, but I really appreciate that. That's an incredible compliment, man. Um, well, no, that's a good segue too, because I know one of, I've listened to you on Rogan. I've listened to you on, I think it was Lane Norton's show. Um, and uh, first and foremost, your knowledge on keto is absolutely incredible. Um, and I know that my audience listens to me all the time talk about you know, specific dietary choices and who might want to choose this way or that way or, and just practical things like you just mentioned. But ultimately, I'm super curious uh, to hear kind of your stance on keto today because, I mean, man, like I was in the grocery store <laughs> right before I came on the show here and I go down an aisle and I just see like all these products labeled keto right? And I'm like, I think Dom might have an issue with this, even though you're the keto, you've been labeled the keto guy, even though you have a a much more vast array of knowledge. But I'm just super curious to jump into your thoughts on the keto diet, kind of what you're working on today. And we can just start there, man, because I think my audience is probably just itching to hear all about it. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Yeah, I got into this in 2008. And then really didn't get funding until about a year or two after that, you know, just writing grants. Uh, I approach it from a clinical perspective because what the, the main project that we focus on is uh, seizures uh, mm-hmm. that are a consequence of breathing high levels of oxygen, uh, specifically in a closed circuit rebreather that the special operations community uses, uh, the Navy SEALs. Mm-hmm. So uh, like I'm in a workshop this week, off a research workshop, where we are discussing different technologies for advancing warfighter safety, uh, readiness, and operational resilience. And there are a lot of very cool devices that are being developed. uh, And one of the mitigation strategies uh, is actually therapeutic ketosis, you know, and that can be achieved in different ways with fasting, a ketogenic diet, which we have studies at uh, Duke University right now uh, looking at that and also uh, ketone ester or ketone salt or formulations of exogenous ketones that can produce therapeutic ketosis, mm. change brain chemistry, brain neuropharmacology to produce an anti-seizure state. So that, that was like the main project that I focused on. And then it blossomed into many different projects, including uh, projects on cancer. I've had several, three graduate students now, three, at least three have PhD projects just on cancer, uh, cancer cachexia. Uh, Dr. Andrew Kutnick, now doctor, uh, focused on the protein sparing effects of ketones. So uh, one could say glucose and carbohydrates are also protein sparing sure. too. Uh, but ketones are really produced in response to a fasting state or starvation state, and they limit uh, the need for glucose requirements in the brain because they function as an alternative energy fuel. And there are unique energetic benefits to that, but also signaling benefits of the ketones because they actually function kind of in a hormone effect. There's a number of ketone receptors. They hit certain uh, pathways. Even one of my students now, PhD student, is focusing on the epigenetic effects of the ketone body beta-hydroxybutyrate 
Wow. They can function, not to get too technical, but as histone deacetylase inhibitors. And also they can directly interact with histones and epigenetic regulation to regulate certain genes that may be beneficial. Wow. Or negative. So we actually, we want to look to see how uh, epigenetic regulation is affected. So that's like a whole another project. That's for a disease called Kabuki syndrome. And we have a studies with Angelman syndrome. Uh, we have studies on uh, Alzheimer's disease and glucose regulation. So, uh, di so, you know, I mostly focused on drugs, but as I got interested in the ketogenic diet, I realized that it was used in the context of epilepsy, uh, originally for pediatric epilepsy, but now adult epilepsy, when multiple drugs to treat epilepsy, anti-epileptic drugs failed, then they would use the ketogenic diet as one of the, uh, so it is like a standard of care as an option if the, if the neurologist would choose that. So I didn't know that. And I went through a nutrition program at Rutgers University and, uh, and actually thought I was fairly up on my nutrition knowledge. Uh, so I, I majored in neuroscience and physiology, but then I started studying seizures like 10, 20 years later and, you know, revisited the ketogenic diet. And I just thought it was an extreme diet that was used primarily by bodybuilders or the Atkins diet. I had a very negative sort of connotations yeah. surrounding it, but I connected with Johns Hopkins, the Barrow Neurological Institute, the Mayo Clinic, and they were using it in a clinical context to prevent tonic-clonic or what's known as grand mal seizures. So what I was studying from the Navy SEAL perspective was actually a very powerful tonic-clonic seizure. So I asked like the top five or six experts at the leading institutions and said, I'm studying this. Do you think the ketogenic diet would work for these types of seizures? And the response was, I remember by Dr. Jung Ro, he was at Barrow Neurological Institute at the time, he said he thought that the ketogenic diet, diet could ameliorate CNS oxygen toxicity seizures. And then I had talked with other experts and I was like, I saved all the emails and I put it into a document and I sent it to the program manager at the Department of Defense Office of Navy Research and said, I have an idea to use a diet for the Navy Sea Warfighter in the context of these mission operations. And they did not like the idea of using a high fat ketogenic diet in a warfighter. So they said, well, why don't you look into developing a pill that would mimic the effect of the ketogenic diet and then write a proposal on that? And I was like, okay, well, that, that's, that doesn't seem possible because I thought the whole, you know, your body had to adapt to, you know, fat yeah. metabolism. But then I discovered that Dr. Richard Veach, the late Dr. Veach, he was a student of Hans Krebs. Uh, he had built a whole research program at the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, uh, developing ketone esters. And then I, I researched more and it was funded by DARPA. And DARPA is this advanced research organization that funds like, you know, humanoid robotics and like all kinds of like crazy high tech stuff. And I became very intrigued by this idea that I could potentially leverage that technology, not only to prevent oxygen toxicity seizures, but unlike anti-epileptic drugs, which were the go-to choice for the Navy, we have something that has potential anti-seizure effects, but also DARPA was funding it to enhance warfighter performance. Mm. So I'm thinking, wow, this, this is okay. So I really have to study this now. So I just like, just stopped everything I was doing, although I continued teaching and everything and writing grants, and then it got funded to test the idea of uh, does, a, does therapeutic ketosis achieved with ketone esters and other ketone supplements, some of them are on the market now, but they're not really as powerful as some of the things that we're studying. Sure, <laughs> so right. they're, they're pitched in that way. But, uh, and I was actually working with uh, uh, Patrick Arnold, who is like has oh, yeah. sort of a reputation in the field. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> And, and other, other people in academia, but Patrick was sort of nimble enough to like work with me, send me things, we would try it, didn't work out sometimes. And then he hit on something, I was able to get a formula from Case Western and he was able to make it. And then when we tested that, it worked better than any anti-epileptic drug that had ever been tried, like in history. So in, the, in this wow. 
uh, model system for oxygen toxicity. So I thought, you know, first animal, you know, maybe maybe something's going on here. And then every animal that we tested after that had remarkable neuroprotection from five atmospheres of oxygen, which produces a brain PO2 oxygenation in the brain that's like, you know, many, many times higher, like 10,000 times higher. Uh, so it, the, the, the rats essentially became super rats when they mm -hmm. were put into this high state, but only with the ketone ester. Prior work showed that if you fasted them for a period of time, they would have resilience, but this was on order of about two and a half times longer than if a human fasted for a week. If you, if a person with epilepsy fasts for a week, it would likely cure their seizures, but you can't fast for a yeah. week. But the ketogenic diet elevates ketones and shifts brain neuropharmacology in a way that sort of mimics some of the aspects of fasting. Mm. So that was over 10 years ago. And ever since then, we continued to study various ketogenic agents, but have also studied the ketogenic diet, especially in the context of cancer and other things too. So throughout you know, my research in a basic, uh, basic science research with animal models and cells, I mean, we also put ketones on cells and show that the cells uh, are more resistant under different conditions. Mm. Uh, but now we've actually moved the science into human application. So I think maybe for your listeners, you know, that, yeah, and I can talk about that a little bit and we're, what we're doing, where we want to go and what I think the, the take home messages are for that. Yeah, this is crazy interesting stuff. I mean, I, I'm a Navy brat myself, um, have a lot of friends who are former SEALs or worked with the SEALs. Uh, and this is all crazy interesting. I, I, I know my audience probably wants to know what you mean by, just to clarify, what you mean by therapeutic ketosis. Yeah, good question. Uh, so there is still a debate, a little bit of, of a debate in the world of epilepsy. So I'm the uh, I'm rotating off, I think, next year, but this year I'm continuing to be the chair of the American Epilepsy Society special interest group on ketogenic diet therapies. Uh, and and one of the things that pops up is that there are diets that that restrict carbohydrates, but do not produce a state of ketosis mm. that have anti-epileptic effects. So Elizabeth Thiel at uh, Harvard, uh, Harvard, she has she uses the low glycemic index diet, and it tends to work for different seizure types. However, the most powerful anti-epileptic sort of approach is the classical ketogenic diet, mm. and a lot of people in the fitness world may not understand that that's ninety percent fat. Right. The yeah. Classical, that's, like yeah, most people have no idea. <laughs> protein. It's kind of actually a pretty low protein diet yeah. and uh, just enough to prevent protein malnutrition. They just give just enough protein to prevent malnutrition and like like essentially no carbohydrates. Uh, so when you're in a state of therapeutic ketosis uh, through the diet, essentially what it means is that the ketogenic diet is the only diet to my knowledge where you have a biomarker that you can measure and say, I am you know, in a state of ketosis. If your ketones are not elevated and you can measure blood, urine, or breath ketones. Right. So I use a device called the uh, Biosense device by Readout Health. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the premier device for measuring breath acetone. And it works remarkably well. Uh, and then I use the Keto Mojo device or the Abbott Precision Extra to measure blood ketones. And you're not in a state of therapeutic ketosis if you if these objective biomarkers are not elevated. And the general consensus is that the ketones that are elevated on a ketogenic diet, you know, impart an anti-seizure neuroprotective effect. But we don't really understand why. Some investigators study GABA, some adenosine, some study the uh, has anti-inflammatory anti, uh, effects. So when your brain is inflamed, you're more likely to have a seizure. If you have a seizure, you could have neuroinflammation. Uh, so the ketogenic diet does not work through any single mechanism, but works through multiple mechanisms synergistically. Mm. Uh, and every scientist has has their own <laughs> opinion and theory about how it works. But I'm under, we know that if we just give ketones 
And, and if we elevate beta-hydroxybutyrate and acetoacetate independent of changing the diet, that this can suppress seizures. This is actually what we did for the Navy project. Mm. So the idea was, well, we couldn't make enough of the compound to give it for a week before diving them to simulate a Navy SEAL dive to produce a seizure. So I was like, okay, well, let's jump the gun and just give them a dose that would produce a high state of ketosis, similar to the classical ketogenic diet or fasting for three to four days. Okay. So produce that level of ketosis. And the ketone ester that Patrick Arnold developed when we gavaged it in 30 minutes, it was like me fasting for seven days. So that's, you know, it lowered glucose actually, and we're still trying to figure that out, but it elevated ketones into the five to seven millimolar range, like acetoacetate and beta-hydroxybutyrate in a one-to-one -one ratio. And that was very important because other ketone esters, namely the beta-hydroxybutyrate only ester did not elevate both ketones together. So uh, that produced remarkable therapeutic ketosis independent of caloric restriction, independent of fasting or carbohydrate restriction. So therapeutic ketosis, the definition could be a state of elevated ketones that imparts a therapeutic effect for a particular pathology or condition. In our case, it's oxygen toxicity, which is an environmental extreme. Mm. Uh, so now we're looking at like hypoxia, we're looking at you know, traumatic brain injury, concussion, uh, we have various cancer models. Uh, we could talk about that. Uh, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease. So if you go to clinicaltrials.gov right now, which mm -hmm. is the government website where you register your clinical trial, there are 81 clinical trials right now using ketone supplementation. Just a wow. few years ago, there was none. And I, I think 23 of them or more are using a ketone ester and like a dozen or more are using ketone salts and some are using a combination. Some are calling medium chain triglyceride MCT oil a ketone supplement. So of the 81 clinical trials, there's probably about a dozen or so calling MCT oil a ketone supplement. And surprisingly, we found that MCT oil is remarkably effective at producing it's kind of like the poor man's ketone ester, right? Because ketone <laughs> esters are very, but when you formulate a compound that has the ketone esters and then the MCT together, then we're finding advantages over either one of those alone. And the same thing with ketone salts. If you take ketone salts and there's a bunch of products on the market, I think Amazon has like 47 different companies selling ketone salts and you formulate those with a MCT, then that that extends the pharmacokinetic profile to the right. Essentially, this means it elevates the ketones longer in the blood for a longer yeah. period of time. And we see better you know, behavioral effects, uh, performance effects, they run faster on the rotor rod device, uh, better anti-seizure effects when the ketones are combined in that way. Wow, yeah, I mean, this is insane. My experience with keto uh, actually was many years ago I did a bodybuilding show. <laughs> I know you said when you started, when you heard about keto, that was that was what I did. I, I had a, I hired a coach. I, I was really overweight many, many years ago, and I decided to hop into a bodybuilding show. And my coach, who I won't name because I, I think he did it wrong, but it was keto. It was just cut your carbs down to nothing. Now, it wasn't therapeutic ketosis. It wasn't yeah, that level. Yeah. I still had protein, probably way too much protein, if I'm being honest. but the approach was high fat. It was probably about 75% yeah. fat, 25% protein. How was that we, high? Or, uh -huh. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty high. I mean, it was mostly, uh, mostly fat sources. Like, uh, so actually we did have a lot of oils. It was like, it wasn't MCT oil, but it was like olive oil, uh, macadamia nut oil. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. you know, peanut butters and things like that. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't, it, it probably was still a little bit too high of protein to be considered therapeutic. And the one thing I struggled with was I never really knew if I was in ketosis because <laughs> I never took, you know, I never, yeah. I never did my breath or my blood or anything like that. It was just the one thing I did experience at a very high level was my cognitive focus, right? Like I was just like, my energy level was so level. And to this day, anytime I cut carbs and just go high fat, it's like my brain turns on. It's like really, it's weird. Right. Uh, and we'll get into some of the yeah. things that, um, 
you know, my clients and that I've experienced with, with keto, both good and bad, but I'm curious to know. So all of that being said, like everything you just went through is, is incredible. How do people who go, Hey, I don't have epilepsy. I don't have a job that requires me to worry about any of this stuff. And I've, I feel pretty healthy, but I want to be, I want to lose weight. I want to get healthy. How does that type of research apply to the common person who's just like, Hey, my, you know, the, the Western diet, right? I just eat junk, need to lose weight. This research sounds absolutely incredible. How can it apply to me to become a better performer in my life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, well, just to go back quickly to like the fitness community, I know different ketogenic diet advocates are out there and uh, someone who actually put it on my radar uh I was looking at it from a clinical perspective, but also going to the internet to find out who was actually using this for non-clinical, for performance. And uh, of course, like Dave Palumbo came, come up and he was, uh, and then I exchanged some, uh, you know, emails with him, I think, and I actually kind of knew him through different circles. And, uh, and, you know, he had some interesting observations and it was working. He was basically, describe his approach as like high protein, moderate fat, low carb. Uh, but he like plays around with the fat carb you know, or the fat uh, protein combination, I guess. Um, but I, I realized that, you know, from the clinical perspective, you would say that this diet is something you would definitely not do if you wanted performance, right? Or for lifestyle. But on the other end, he had a lot of clients and many other coaches were modeling his behavior and getting results. Uh, and many of them were saying that it was helping with their autoimmune issues. They were thinking better, you know, after the initial four to six weeks, their energy levels had rebounded and they had a great energy flow throughout the day. And they were like wanting to use this approach actually as like a lifestyle approach. So this is like 2008, I'm researching this and, uh, and also talking with people in the clinical realm. So uh, I realized that the, the epilepsy world sees this as a very drastic metabolic therapy to use only in the context of when drugs fail. Mm. You know, it's something that the average person should definitely not do, and it needs to be done under medical supervision. But then you go to the fitness community and you realize that some people are doing this, and it's, it's more of a high-protein approach, but because they're using it for body composition alterations, there's a calorie deficit, and the a a calorie restricted, high protein, moderate fat, low carb diet will typically produce a mild state of ketosis. So you'll get some of the benefits of that. Mm. And and the ketones are really just sort of something that is indicative of suppression of the hormone insulin and that you're also facilitating more fat metabolism. You know, as your metabolism changes over time, you're just relying, of course, you know, you're relying on it because you basically burn what you eat. Like, you know, people say the ketogenic diet burns so much more fat. And it's like, yeah, because that's what you're eating, right? right? (laughs) And you're not, and I think, uh, you know, you know, I learned a lot from Lane Norton too about, about, uh, you know, you do have to have a calorie deficit if you want to burn your own body fat. Like you can have, you can easily overconsume too many calories on a ketogenic diet. And for some people, they do that. They sit down in the front of a TV with a bag of cashews and they do some, you can, you can do a lot of damage in one sitting, you know, yes. with a, a jar of peanut butter or, or whatever. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, I actually have a, a pretty big calorie deficit at the end of the day and I don't want to have that. So I'll sit down with like uh, a, a bowl of sour cream with some stevia and cinnamon and chocolate cocoa powder and stir it up. And it's like, you know, basically a big fat bomb. And I just trying to get my calories in for the day because otherwise I lose a lot of weight on the ketogenic diet if I don't force myself to eat. So in that context, jumping back to your original question and sorry, it took me. Oh no, this is so good, man. uh, Okay. Well, I think the the benefit of a ketogenic diet is it is a restrictive diet. It's not for everybody. Sometimes it can't tolerate that level of fat, but the the diet does tend to moderate or uh, correct like energy flow in a lot of people. So they don't have postprandial fluctuations in glucose. So I don't know if you could see it now, but I have a continuous glucose monitor on the back of my arm here. And when I am on a ketogenic diet, there is no other diet 
that really compares uh, in regards to optimizing my glycemic variability to maximize my energy flow, focus, and and whatnot. You know, so uh, so by wearing a continuous glucose monitor, and I use the Levels app for that, mm. uh, and it's a, a whole program that you can sign up for. Uh, I posted about it yesterday, like on social media. And they are, uh, it uses the Abbott uh, Libre device. That CGM is a very powerful tool that can allow you to change your behavior. And in a way, because you understand precisely how the food is affecting you. Mm. Like yesterday, I ate a ripe pear. And the day previous, I ate a pear that was like a little bit hard to bite into. It was unripened, but it had like essentially no glycemic response. And the right pear, which the sugars, you have a conversion of starch to sugars, you know, not only spiked my glucose, but about two hours later, I got like a little bit shaky and sweaty. I was outside doing a little bit of work and it says like a completely different metabolic response, same food, one unripened, one, one ripe, because my body wasn't used to eating fruit without anything else. Like if you combine it with fiber and fat and things like that, that'll attenuate that spike. Um, but getting back to, to like, the ketogenic diet for the everyday people. I, I look at intermittent fasting and I look at ketogenic diets or low carb diets. And, you know, it doesn't have to be ketogenic, although people call it ketogenic, just simply, you know, reducing your carbohydrates from two, 300 grams a day to hundred grams a day, mm. probably give you everything you need if you're not like an endurance athlete or something like that. And it'll produce some pretty dramatic effects on body composition, probably because you are reducing your total calorie intake. Uh, yeah. And I do believe, you know, when I eat more carbohydrates, once I start eating, then that's when my appetite kicks in. Like on days, like yesterday I did intermittent fasting and I was not hungry at all. Today I had a meal and I tend to be more hungry at this time of the day if I have eaten than if I had, had not eaten. So, and I don't do intermittent fasting every day, but I probably just do it two days a week, but mostly for logistical reasons. You know, some people will cite research and I think Ethan Weiss published a paper and there was a big study just published that sort of the intermittent fasting does not have any benefits um, uh, as far as fat loss and weight loss and things like that. But from a logistic, I don't do it for weight loss. I don't do it for performance. I do it for logistical reasons. <laughs> And, yeah. uh, and it, it, it serves me very well logistically. And also I have not seen any decrements in strength or performance. I, well, I will have to admit if I do intermittent fasting all the time, it's very difficult for me to keep size and strength. So I do start to lose size and strength. So not everybody's like that. Some people can gain size and strength on intermittent fasting. I'm not a person who can do that because my calorie requirements are really high. And, mm. uh, and, and if I do do that, sometimes on days that I intermittent fast and if I go 20 hours without eating and then try to fit in all my food at the end of the day, that disrupts my sleep. Mm. So, uh, so I, I use intermittent fasting sparingly and I use it on the days that I want to just bang out as much work and be as productive as possible. So I usually schedule about two to three weeks in advance and then I'll schedule two days during the week where I'll intermittent fast and I'll just like front load a lot of that stuff. Uh, a lot of my heavy work assignments and it's beneficial in that regard for sure. Yeah. I'm the same way. I fa I'm fasted right now actually, but yeah. uh, I fast just about every day if I'm being honest, but I also have a naturally slower metabolism, right? So even after getting super lean, reverse dieting, it, it's hard for me to not gain weight over about 3000 calories. It's just hard. That's just naturally my body type. Um, so I found fasting to be great because if I want to eat twice a day, logistically speaking, it's amazing. I have a family, I have kids, I have business podcasts, yeah. all this stuff, right? So I don't want to have to eat six small meals a day. Uh, so I eat two or three times a day max and getting to 2,500 to 3,000 calories is easy, right? But as somebody who is like, hey, I got to eat 4,000 or 5,000 to maintain my weight, that's tough, right? <laughs> your, your digestive yeah, system is going to be screaming at that point. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. It's impossible. Um, well, it's not. Well, the ketogenic diet is very obvious. It's very energy dense 
foods, right? So this morning I had three eggs, like maybe six pieces of bacon and a can of sardines. I know that's a weird breakfast, but it was in, it was in olive oil. Sardines are amazing, man. Don't, don't be ashamed. Yeah. I love sardines. <laughs> okay. And, and I cooked it in, my wife, I think brought like low fat bacon. It didn't make a lot of fat. So I put in like uh, ghee and mm. the whole meal was about, uh, something about 1200 calories, I think. So I do like mental calculation through the day. And although I, I do use the Carbon Coach uh, Lanes app, which is yeah. really good. Uh, chronometer is also very good. Uh, but the Carbon Coach is, is pretty good and it's kind of uh, can accommodate ketogenic diet eating. So I, I recommend that for people who want to track their macros. Uh, but, you know, so that's, it, and it didn't fill me up. So if I would have eaten like a bowl of oatmeal or something like that, I mean, I would be on a wild swing, but a, a ketogenic diet tends to not, you know, allow me to crash. So I can eat a breakfast in the morning. I am a little bit more hungry, you know, through the day, through the next. Um, but if you, ketogenic meals, if you're eating fatty fish, uh, beef and chicken with the skin, and then, you know, salads with a lot of olive oil and things like that, like the calories add up quick. Sure. And for people who follow a ketogenic diet and say they gain weight, my sister actually gained a little bit of weight on the ketogenic diet, I remember, and other people have contacted me and I asked them if they're tracking their macros, they're almost never tracking their macros. So yeah. if someone tells me they gain weight on a ketogenic diet, there may be, by suppressing the hormone insulin, you may be contributing to an increase in, you know, uh, a decrease in, in your T3, your, your thyroid, you know, you have less T4 to T3 conversion and some other things may be going on. But, and I've seen blood work to suggest that although my T3 is always pretty high, like borderline high. And even after pretty extended, you know, ketogenic dieting, uh, if I fast, then it goes down with calorie restriction, of course. But, uh, but I see that as a problem that when people say they can't do the ketogenic diet because they gain weight on it, uh, they're just not counting their macros. Um, yeah, just because fat has so many calories per gram. I mean, it's more than yeah. double, you know, carbs. It's like, it's just hard sometimes when you're like, oh, I can just eat. It sounds easy enough, right? You say, okay, I'm just gonna eat high fat, keep my carbs basically zero. It's easy to mentally yeah. register what you can eat and not eat. But the calories, like you said, they do add <laughs> <laughs> they had to be extremely yeah. fast, especially if you're going like yeah. the higher fat percentage beef and stuff like that. Yeah. And if you're, if you're using the same plates and you fill up the plate <laughs> <laughs> with the same amount of food, like, you know, I think people are encouraged to eat by sight. So I think, uh, I think it's a struggle for some people because they feel kind of deprived that they're eating less food, but you're, you're eating food that's calorically twice as more dense than right. you know the, the meals if you stick to the ratios so that's really important you know i think i see two ways to pass for people who want to lose weight and i think tracking is absolutely essential mm -hmm. so like carbon diet coach chronometer you know there's good devices uh, uh programs out there and Another method that I just became completely convinced of is just wearing a continuous glucose monitor. Mm. And obviously right now these things require a doctor's prescription or a consult, but it has been extremely enlightening and allowed me to change behavior in a way that's not painful. Uh, and, you know, uh, a lot of people that, I'm, that I know within the program, some of them are vegetarians, some of them are vegans, some of them completely plant-based and they've adjusted their carbohydrate-based foods or plant-based foods to basically have the same uh, CGM profile as me on a ketogenic diet or better. Uh, so it has convinced me that a person could be completely carb-based or high carb, but still be able to put meals together that really optimize the CGM. And, and in the same time, you're really optimizing your metabolism. Not that a spike in glucose is like, gonna do much harm but if you're eating a pop tart like every you know couple times a day uh i think you know over time especially if there's a caloric surplus which is more likely to be a, a, a caloric surplus that's going to do more harm than good you know yeah that's my argument against um i guess there's that whole movement for i don't know if it's still a movement anymore but it's the if it fits your macros movement of like hey 
eat whatever the heck you want all day, create these crazy recipes with processed junk that's got tons of sugar, as long as you hit your calories and your protein, carbs, and fats, like you're totally cool. But I was like, I, I'm okay with that. Well, I'm okay if you, you know, you meet certain fiber requirements and, sure. and there's certain things that need to be in there. It's just not optimal. It's not exactly. optimal for human yeah. health. You know, <laughs> exactly. it'll work, it's but it's not to lose weight. Yeah. It's another thing to feel like death while you're doing it. You know, it's like, yeah. a I eat a pop tart and 30 minutes later, I'm like, Oh God, I feel like I just did something really bad. <laughs> it just feels terrible. Yeah. You know, mentally. I did test pop tarts too. You tested yeah, pop tarts? I, yeah, I tested pop tarts and I had a pretty crazy spike. <laughs> you know, to be completely honest, uh, I actually do find pop tarts are a very energetically dense food. Sure. And if I eat it and I go work outside on the farm or do, I actually feel great. Like, oh, I think yeah. my body loves those calories. <laughs> Believe it or not, <laughs> I, I know people are going to slam me for this, but one thing to do, you could just, if I'm really trying to make up calories, I'll put, I'll cover the pop tart, the cinnamon pop tart with almond butter. Mm. And then you have two very dense forms of calories and I'll eat like two pop tarts covered with almond butter and then I can go outside and do work for like most of the day. And it's just like a nice, and it attenuates that glycemic spike. Yeah. And my energy flow. If I eat a couple pop tarts and then go work outside, I have like crazy energy, but then I kind of get a little bit shaky and sweaty, like after a couple minutes, but I digest the pop tarts really well, you know, probably cause they're processed. They digest very easily. But yeah. there's other forums out there. Uh, there's you know, legendary foods makes the tasty pastries. Yes. And you know it's not a pop tart, but it, it you know it doesn't have quite the mouthfeel, but it's like almost ninety percent there. Mm. And if I eat two of those, uh, I basically almost have a flat. I have a very small spike. Wow. So if someone's looking to get, uh, you know, a healthy pop tart, you know, I didn't do a price comparison or anything, but that's a pretty legit, you know, switch out. And, you know, I, I eat these things very rarely, but sometimes I do crave them. So I have, you know, tasty pastries on, on hand and, uh, and that's a very good alternative. I think there's a lot of things out there. There's baking products out there by yummy foods, which is actually, uh, uh, a good friend of ours, Adriana, created a company that has baking powders for like muffins and brownies and cakes and things like that. And the foods taste very similar to the real thing. And they're wow. just using, you know, an almond and nut based uh, powder with, with uh, other sweeteners in it. So for someone that feels that the ketogenic diet will deprive them of things like cookies and, and cupcakes and cakes and things like that, their new food technologies and new companies are scrambling to get into the space and they created some pretty legit products. Last night I had Rebel ice cream and the night prior to that I had Killer Creamery, double ch you know, ch chocolate chunk ice cream and I had a like a very flat uh, CGM response to that. Like I didn't wake up with cravings in the middle of the night because I eat ice cream. Right. Yeah. So these products now exist. Uh, they tend to be a little bit more pricey, but you know, you shouldn't be spending a lot of money on it anyway, because you shouldn't be relying on these foods all the time. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm more of a whole foods person, but I do eat these things on a daily basis, just small amounts. So it sounds like, you know, if, if the common person's like, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in, that type of approach, lower carb, if we will, right? The the best combination is if, if body recomp is your goal, right? Where you want to look better, lose weight, improve your health, then it sounds like controlling your calorie intake combined with monitoring your glucose is like the magic, almost like that's like the, the magical way of doing things, right? I mean, in terms of habit, rec you know, yeah. adjustment and, and having real data feedback, like almost in real time, like that's the holy grail yeah. of transformation it's going to make it extremely easy for people when these devices when the when uh levels health is working hard at like scaling up and they're going to make it such that everyone can afford these devices mm. and i wouldn't even i wear continuous glucose monitor all the time now uh and it gives me crazy insight and i can test different keto products and i can you know yeah. it's very helpful in that regard but if i was the average you know everyday person wanting to leverage this technology to optimize my metabolic health or change body composition 
what I would do is just sign up for like, uh, uh, get two cycles or two 14 days, 28 days, so one month. And that's all you need. I mean, once you, if you follow it for one month and you don't do anything crazy, you stick to your normal routine, that will give you the feedback that you need to get to, to optimize and tweak your diet and your, your meal selection, your food selection. But it'll give you insight into how exercise, how stress, how what's going on with your glucose at nighttime. You know, and eventually the level of software will sync up with other devices. So your sleep data can go in there if you're wearing like an Aura Ring or a Whoop watch or something like that, or the Apple Apple devices. So uh, I'm not like huge into having to measure <laughs> and quantify everything. But if one was to do it like once or twice a year and to get a snapshot of what their food is doing to their body, then they can make adjustments accordingly. It's like, you know, I did the Carbon Coach app and I thought that that was an amazing way to track your macros. And I did it for like two weeks and I was like, okay, like these are the meals I eat anyway. I typically don't eat outside of, you know, this two weeks. And that's, I, I pretty much know what my calorie intake is. Uh, and then I can look at my macros and also look at my glycemic response and then correlate that. Mm. So it's like, but some people do need to track all the time. But I think for, sure. you know, more pricey things, although the, the price will come down on, on CGM devices, I think it's probably the best. It, you could pay someone. Uh, I think, you know, a coach would be like thousands of dollars for the amount of information that a CGM device will give you in four yeah. weeks. You know yeah, I mean? that's, that's crazy. Like, it, it's crazy. Yeah. It's starting to make me think too, because, you know, we, we do uh, help a lot of people uh, with their, you know, weight loss journey and things like that. This would be a tremendous tool, um, even for the people who are maybe like, Hey, I'm willing to invest more into something. Cause I'm, I need to, you know, I'm at a point where I have to, I have no other way out right now. I, that's a great opportunity for them, right? Where, where their dollar would yeah. be massive. They should see a massive return. Um, I want to do it. <laughs> That's awesome. I need to do it. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, I've, I know like, cause it's the first thing I thought of with, um, with when you mentioned the pear uh, scenario with a, with a ripe one or an unripe pear was, uh, the potato yeah. trick that I teach clients where it's like, you know, we, we cook potatoes, we let them cool. Uh, and then there's resistant starch, uh, inside yeah. the potato after it cools. It's, it goes back to the potato diet, yeah. right? That whole funny diet where all you ate was these potatoes and lost weight. Cause yeah. they're like, less, you know, there's just so much resistant starch in the potato now, but we teach that trick because it's, it allows for them to be able to control their, their glucose response a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. I mean, there's like a lot of little hacks like that. Uh, one of the things that I learned uh, early on is that if I just simply go and walk the dogs around the property for 10 to 20 minutes after a meal, and I, I typically eat like two larger meals a day, sometimes three, uh, that will basically improve my metabolic score. So the Levels app actually gives you a metabolic score. And my metabolic score will correlate really with how I feel. If I have a poor metabolic score, so it's like a game. And I think I became, I become kind of competitive about it, about getting a better metabolic score. Yeah. So I learned to like, not eat so much at night and I won't have what's called the dawn effect, which is your elevated glucose in the morning. Mm. So I would taper off or avoid certain foods at nighttime. And I would just do, uh, and I know Stan efforting, I guess, yeah, the vertical I was diet. Told after yeah. I started posting about this. Yeah. Yeah. He does. Uh, well, I, he's definitely onto something because I can dramatically improve my levels, health metabolic score just wow. by going for a 10 minute walk. Like all you need is 10 minutes. You don't need like 40 minutes of like cardio, like a 10 yeah. minute walk with the dogs around the property. And I could, it like attenuates that glycemic response and my energy is flow. My energy flow is much better after that. Cause I don't have the postprandial wackiness that accompanies, you know, certain meal yeah. selections, you know, that's awesome. It's almost like a game within a game too, because we, we teach our clients yeah. to track their steps um, and we teach them little hacks to get more steps in during the day to improve upon their sedentary lifestyle. Right. Uh, and one of the hacks I tell people is cut out of your lunch break 10 minutes early and go for a walk because it's just an opportunity to get more activity in. And that would be a perfect segue into saying, Hey, after you eat, go just a five, 10 minute walk is all you need. And yeah, yeah. Stan's Stan was on top of that, but he's onto something. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible, I notice I feel 
once again, I can't communicate the science as effectively as you do, but I definitely feel better when I walk directly after a meal. It's kind of like me and my wife will go out to yeah. eat and then we'll go for a walk around the like town center where, wherever we eat afterwards. And it's like, you feel so much better even after maybe not great, not, not as great of a meal that you normally would have. Right. It's such a simple thing to do. I mean, what I've realized is that if I eat a large meal and then sit at my desk, stressed out working, that's like the worst case scenario. So you have to plan accordingly. And just, you know, if you're budgeting time for a meal and to say, I'm going to eat this, you know, and do a 10 minute walk or even like push ups or chin ups or stretching yoga, you know, yard work, whatever, uh, just be active in the period. You know, I, I don't do a heavy you know, lifting workout or strenuous to, you know, like right after a meal. I just don't feel good doing that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but just moderate to light to moderate activity makes a huge. And also, if you are eating carbohydrates, what uh, another thing that CGM has enlightened me about is if I eat a salad prior to eating a sweet potato or bread or something or some kind of carb source, that can almost knock down the glycemic spike by like almost 50% if I eat a salad. Uh, and I put like apple cider vinegar and some oil on it. And some people say apple cider vinegar has its own glucose lowering effect, but simply not just the meal or macronutrient composition of the meal, but the order in which you eat the meal mm. is actually really important. And there was actually a study on this and I kind of replicated the results in my own personal experiments with CGM. So uh, yeah, have your salad and your fiber before and it'll delay gastric absorption and it will attenuate the postprandial spike and you'll feel better. And uh, wow. so that's another hack. You know, yeah, I guess my mom was onto something when she would make me eat my my veggies first, and then she was like, "Then you yeah. can have the the good stuff <laughs> yeah. after the veggies." It was all because yeah. of the glycemic index, of course. That's why she did it. But no. <laughs> yeah, and the, I mean, it's like you know, fiber, fat if you put olive oil, and also salt. So mm-hmm. salt can delay gastric absorption. Fat delays gastric absorption, and then fiber also delays gastric absorption. So you have a combination of like three different things mm. that can attenuate. And even if you're on a ketogenic diet and you just eat a, you know, a huge steak or chicken right after, uh, it'll it'll attenuate the glycemic spike from the large protein meal too. On top of that, so I get better glycemic, improved glycemic variability by simply eating a big salad before having a big steak or chicken or whatever. That's incredible, man. I, I know your time is so limited that we could talk for hours on this stuff. Um, before you go, I am curious to know just a, a quick hit on what you're studying in regards to uh, cancer uh, research with, with the keto diet, just because we, I know personally, uh, actually I know a friend who just found out he has cancer um, and I'm curious to know just like a quick cliff notes version on what you're you know, passionate about right now with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been really uh, encouraging to see the ketogenic diet moving into human clinical trials. Mm-hmm. So 10 years ago when I started, I think there was only one or two on clinicaltrials.gov. And now most recently, I think there was about 38 clinical trials at different universities so uh, just last week, I, uh, I'm a consultant for, you know, on a, on a grant submission NIH to, to basically study the ketogenic diet for glioblastoma in patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's at Cedars-Sinai. Jethro Hugh is doing that work. Uh, he's a neuro-oncologist at Cedars-Sinai. Uh, I kind of dabble in a lot of different projects. Our lab is a basic science research lab. So we have animal models that we study and we glean insights from those animal models and then move that information into sort of, or other investigators to move that information into human clinical trials. So that could be, we've studied metformin, we've studied uh, ketone supplementation, we've studied uh, you know, different types of ketogenic diets. So there are uh, a lot of, there's a lot of clinical trials that are being started up now. And if someone has a particular kind of cancer, uh, the first thing that I tell them to do is go to clinicaltrials.gov and then search your type of cancer and see if, see what clinical trials are in your area. So in all the studies using the ketogenic diet as therapy, it's, it's used in the context uh, as an adjuvant. So we have never studied the ketogenic diet as a standalone therapy for cancer. 
Uh, I think some people think maybe we did and even promote our research in that way, but that's, we always studied the ketogenic diet as a way to further augment the therapeutic efficacy of other types of therapies. So mm -hmm. we have studied things like, uh, you know, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, uh, because early studies showed that if you hyperoxygenate a tumor, it reverses the tumor hypoxia and actually causes the cancer cells to overproduce oxygen-free radicals, which triggers apoptosis and necrosis, like cell death. And it's more specific, it's more selective to the cancer cells because they have aberrant mitochondria and they overproduce oxygen-free radicals. So this was an observation I made years ago and then kind of moved that into animal models, which showed that there was some efficacy there. And now investigators are actually, you know, doing things like this in, in human clinical trials now. And there's quite a few people that have cancer who they don't, they can't apply to a clinical trial, but they, the tools are out there. And our website, ketonutrition.org has a list of doctors and registered dietitians that can help and coach people to produce that state of therapeutic ketosis. So they're certified nutritionists. And then they can work with their oncologist, uh, whether they're doing immune therapy, chemo or radiation. You know, uh, there are many forms of cancer are very responsive to the standard of care. Some forms of cancer are not like, you know, high grade glioma, uh, advanced metastatic cancer. A patient may question whether that standard of care will offer them benefits. So mm -hmm. they have to look at the literature and in some cases it may not, they may choose to do, to not do standard of care and just to do more of a metabolic based therapy. I do not advocate for that. That's a decision they have to make with their oncologist, but I think their oncologists should be, you know, and most hopefully are clear with them that that if the therapy can offer real, and there's a lot of experimental therapies that we just don't know, but I think they have to make that hard decision moving forward. But things like, you know, lymphoma, leukemia, testicular cancer, early breast cancer, these are all highly responsive to standard of care therapy. So I, I don't think they should question not doing standard care. I think, you know, they should do it, but just use that ketogenic diet as a, um, an adjuvant. Yeah, no, that's incredible. I mean, because I don't know. I, I, maybe it's just more access to people's lives through social media, but yeah, I see, you know, cancer, uh, popping up in friends, you know, actually, yeah. like I said, yeah. a good friend, it's just, it's crazy. I, I don't want to speculate on where it's coming from, but it's just, it feels like it's more common. I, I like I said, it could be just, I have more access to people, <laughs> you know, and I, yeah, you know, it's like confirmation bias. Like you, you think, Oh yeah, yeah. It's, there's just so much junk out there as people getting cancer more, but it's just, we just have so much more social connection, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I can, I, I can relate. I understand what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dom, I know you're so busy, man. So, uh, and you're working on some obviously incredibly important projects. So, I, I appreciate you jumping on the show. Uh, this is, man, I, I'm not. Maybe I should start labeling myself as <laughs> a nerd, but I love this stuff, man. Like this stuff is awesome, and it's exciting because it's stuff that people can do without. I mean, obviously, investing in monitors and things like that can come with a price tag, but really changing how you eat doesn't really cost that much. <laughs> it's, it's Not just it's yeah. incredible low hanging fruit. You know, it's, it's amazing. Yep. So well, I yeah, appreciate once you again, that. thank you for having me on. And if anyone has, you know, wants to learn more, they could go to keto nutrition, all one word dot org, keto nutrition.org. And, uh, you know, I have, have various podcasts on there and uh, we'll put this one on there and uh, consultants, food products that we tested. I don't have, people think I have my own products, but I don't sell anything, but products that we test, I put on there that are awesome. sort of keto friendly. So I would encourage people to go there and also encourage people to look into different technologies like CGM uh, if they're really serious about, you know, uh, getting a hold and, and optimizing their metabolism. So Levels Health is really good. They kind of have the market on that. And, uh, and there's a lot of good programs to sign up for to get these devices. And you just do a quick virtual consult with a doctor mm. and you can get the devices. So they've made it sort of easy. Like months ago, that wasn't the case, but things are getting easy now to get hold of these devices. That's awesome. And I, I think that's how it should be. I mean, these are things that are going to help people. It's not like yeah. 
15-year-old kids getting their hands on like TRT or something. <laughs> you can go prick your finger, actually, which is like more of a human uh, health hazard. You can prick <laughs> your finger multiple times and put blood on a strip from the right. devices you can get at CVS and Walgreens, but you just can't stick this thing on the back of your arm and just look at your smartphone and see what your food's doing to you. Or, you know, I, I think this is going to be a game changer for, for the community. And I think for uh, people going into a diet too, because I think it gives a lot of insight. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to try it. I'm, I'm going to look into it for sure because um, I'm always looking for ways to improve my knowledge first and foremost, but also be kind of the guinea pig for other people who yeah. you know, want to learn how to do this stuff. So that's, that's an incredible well, tool. I, I know there. Yeah, I know there's a long waiting list. So if people go to Levels Health website, it's like a crazy like six months out. But I posted a link yesterday uh, that should put you at the top of the line. So they gave me a VIP link. So people who, who you know, use that link should be moved up to the top of the line, I'm told. So hopefully that's <laughs> the case. So I've been waiting to hear feedback uh, and whether that's the case, but it should put you up in front of the line to get the device. Awesome. Well, I'll, yeah, I don't mind the VIP treatment, so I'll, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> uh, well, hey man, thanks, thanks again for taking some time and uh, I'm, I'm hoping people will connect with you in your research. So thanks again, man. I really appreciate Great. it. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course, man. Talk to you soon. Okay. Too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the True Transformation Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review and subscribe to the show. True Transformation.